Bible with me to Exodus chapter 23. Um, we're going to finish chapter 23 this morning and then move on to chapter 24. If you are new or visiting, um, we study God's Word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we start at the beginning of a book and we go all the way through the end. And this is where we're at this morning as we continue in our study through the book of Exodus and specifically looking into this account that's been recorded for us of how Children of Israel entered into a covenant with God, their God. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I, my allergies have been really bothering me. And I've um, been taking allergy medicine, and I feel like I don't never get enough water to drink now because of that dry mouth. All right, guys, let's start by, by reading, um, starting in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 23 together. We'll read through the end of the chapter. And then we'll pray and, and, and look back upon these verses. Verse, one, in verse 20 of chapter 23, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But... If you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, into the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you, do, you, shall not, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless you, bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you, from, from the midst of you. Verse 26, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you, and I will cause confusion among the people who you, who, to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And verse 28, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivitite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And verse 31, I will set your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistia, and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make your sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let's pray. Lord, even as I just read again, Father, your, your word and these promises that you spoke to your people and the covenant that you entered into with them, as I'm reminded of that and see the details to that, Lord, can help but to be excited about the life that you've called us to, the life that you've provided for us, the blessings that you set before us, the hope of eternal life. And God, really, as, as I read these verses, I see how how you had a plan of good for your people. 
Um, Lord, how you were for them, and you wanted them to succeed, and you desired to give good things to them. You desired for them to prosper, to have life and life abundantly, and Lord, that you would be the means by which these things would come to pass. And God, we know that you have the same intentions for us as a result of our our relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, the result of your great love for us. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning who may be feeling down or discouraged or, 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 or feeling defeated because of um, their sin, because of their failure, because of the difficulties of this life and the, and the hard things, Lord. And maybe even they just look around, as I sometimes do, at the state of the world, the state of our city, our, our nation, and, and, and can be downtrodden in my heart, Lord. But I pray, God, that you would help us to look beyond the temporal things of this life and to see that you're still in control, in control of our lives, in control of this world, and, Lord, that, um, that none of these things are greater than you. None of the, the things, Lord, that we see as worrisome or burdensome are greater than your love for us, greater than your plan for us. And so, Lord, may we like the children of Israel are being called here in this passage, may we go forward in faith, trusting, Lord, that you'll do this good work for us and in us and through us. Lord, we believe your word. We know, God, that your Son is alive and that your Holy Spirit has been given to us. And so we we worship you. We give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. you don't have to turn there, but just for, for a point of reference, back in, 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 in chapter 19, we were there just a couple weeks ago, um, we were told that it was in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt that they then came into the Sinai wilderness, or the wilderness of the Sinai, and camped before the mountain, this mountain where they are at now, Mount Sinai, also referred to as Mount, the, the mountain of God. And according to, and, and I challenged you guys a few weeks ago, I think when we first started looking at this time frame that we're in now in, in regards to a timeline of events, I challenged you to go and look back through Scripture. Do a word study on this mountain and see just how many awesome things took place here. And, and, and it, it's, 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 it's a pretty cool um, um, picture of what God does for us uh, even today. And... and um, but they camped there, but then when you look ahead, you see that it was in the third month that they first camped there of the first year, and then according to Numbers chapter 10, and we know that the timeline of events began when Christ, when God freed them from their Egyptian bondage. God established the Passover feast and said in the month of Abib, the first month, that that should be the beginning of, the, of, of their year, their religious year. Um, and, and so as we follow the calendar of events, we're told in chapter 19 that it was the third month that when they came to the mountain after having left and crossing the Dead Sea and, 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 and knowing that they received the manna and then following after uh, the pillar and all the things that we've been reading about. But then in Numbers chapter 10, when you follow the chronological uh, order of the events here, verse 10, it tells us in, 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 that, in that book that they, would re- that they remained here, camped here, until the 20th day of the second month of the second year. And I like that for a couple of reasons. Because the reason why I like it primarily is because it really establishes for us the fact that God's Word 
is a book of history. If you've ever looked at history books, secular history books, they have the very same kind of format in where there's dates and accounts and events that are recorded in a specific reference that you can go back and, and, and check it out. And, and God's Word is very detailed in this same way, and in that it proves to us, it should prove to us that it's trustworthy, that it's reliable, every aspect of it, and that it's never, ever been proven wrong. And what I mean by that is, is there have been archaeological digs that have taken place over the years where there have been things that, are, that have been found, antiquities and, 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 and other recorded events that have been stored down through time that, that, that have been dug up and found that validate what the Bible says and records here as historical events. And it's never been wrong. And so when we see these detailed things, God is going, you can trust me. But in addition to that, it has a specific application to what we're reading about here because from those two passages of Scripture, we can deduct that 11 months is the time frame with which in the children of Israel had, had, had been here at the Mount Sinai and an and 11 month period of time that they were, that they were spending in, in relationship with God as they entered into this covenant with him. And they did so by receiving, first of all, his law, the Ten Commandments that we've, all, that we've already gone through. But, but in addition to, to God giving them to him, we know that the people uh, in response agreed to keep all of his commands. But I want to point out, because 11-month period of time is a long time to spend here. And we know as we go forward that, that even during this 11-month period of time, Moses would be up on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. And, but even that is a small fraction of time to the almost full year that they spent here camped out at Mount Sinai. And, and we might wonder why. At least I wonder why. And, 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 and as we begin to get the details of what took place there, the answer to that question is revealed to us. And there's an, over, there's an overlying or underlying message that's being conveyed to us. And we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit this morning. But it's also going to set a foundation for us as we go through the rest of the book of Exodus. Because as we read on and continue to, st- or to study through the book of Exodus, we see that this, this covenant agreement was much more than a list of rules and regulations. And I think we often lose sight of that. When we think about the Mosaic law and the covenant that came alongside with that, we typically think about God's law, right? God's command, the Ten Commandments, and how how God had given his people these rules, even these precepts that we talked about uh, last week as we moved through chapter 21 into chapter 23, all these different precepts that will come back up again, but the rules and regulations that were given simply for the Hebrew people to keep. And we can go, yeah, that's what the Mosaic was covenant was about, that God gave his law and the people were to keep it. And God said, if you do this, you'll be my people and I will be your God. But that's a very narrow perception and, and, and really an inaccurate perception of the totality of what this covenant was all about and, and what it contained. And, and it was more than just a list of rules and regulations for the people to, to complete, considering God, as we'll see coming into the, to the remaining chapters of the book of Exodus, we'll see that God would also give his people the plans for a tabernacle, the tabernacle, specifically the very place where God would manifest his presence here on earth and dwell with them. And we know that when, 
when the, 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 the tabernacle was constructed, when the construction was complete and the Ark of the Covenant was brought in, it says, like had happened when the temple was built next under Solomon's reign, it says that the very glory of God filled the place so that it drove everybody out. The presence of God was manifested in a very real way. And, and that's, that's significant in, in lots of ways, but it even goes back to this, 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 this last couple chapters we've been reading about where God had gathered his people to the mountain and said, hey, listen, Moses, I want to speak to them. I'm going to speak to you so that they can hear me. And it was this idea of God calling them into an intimate personal relationship with him. He wanted to have direct communion with them. And, and the tabernacle was a continuation of that. It was a, a place where God would, would meet with them, where God would dwell with them. But in addition to that, we know that God also, during this 11-month period of time, established the Levitical priesthood. And with the Levitical priesthood, there was the sacrificial system. And we'll, we'll go into all the details of the, the priests, uh, uh, what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to wash and the garments they were supposed to wear and the order for the sacrifices and the different types of sacrifices. And we're going to look into that and go through all of that. But what you need to know is, is this was too also a means by which God would have relationship and fellowship with his people the children of Israel. And that was the, the bigger part of this covenant. So as we continue on through the book of Exodus, we should understand that the law and the children of Israel's obedience to it was but just the foundation for the covenant. It was a framework. It was a foundation. But the covenant itself was filled with, 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 with the promise, with, 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 with the promises and the blessings of God. That's what the covenant was filled with. The covenant wasn't just a list of rules and regulations. The covenant was filled with the promises and the blessings of God that would be poured out on His people as they had fellowship and relationship with their Creator, the Almighty God. And in these final verses, guys, here in chapter 23, the ones that we just read, that's what's being spoken of. I don't know about you, but when you read that, it kind of just makes you happy when you read these things that God had spoken to his people. And because they're great promises here, you get excited for them and you go, man, that would have been awesome to have been an Israelite at that time. But it's, it's even more awesome to be a Christian today than it was to have been an Israelite back then. Because in the covenant that we've received, there's greater promises greater blessings that we've already received. Not to mention the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. Relationship with God in an intimate and personal way right now that they could never have. Where God chose to not, to not longer dwell in a, a, a something constructed by man, but to dwell inside of us. To be that close with us. To become part of us that we might become part of Him. And so in this chapter, God makes three specific promises as just the beginning of many and the fulfillment of some that He had already made. And we'll talk about that um, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that when we get more into chapter 24. But, but promises that He made to His people, and here's, here's, a, here's a, a notation to go along with that if you're keeping notes. Promises that were designed to encourage His people to obey the law, to obey His law. Promises that were designed to encourage their obedience to the law. And ultimately, 
when we understand that, it's, that, that God's promises are rooted in His love for us, we see, too, not only our motive, but the encouragement that God calls us to, to say, hey, do things my way. Go in the way that, that, that I'm leading you. Follow after me. And it's the same thing, our obedience to, to God's, God's will and God's purposes in our own life. So, with that, if you look back to chapter 23, or chapter 23, verse 20, because as God made these promises, uh, and to encourage them to, to, to obey His law, He first did so in verses 20, to, 20 and 23 by promising, if you'll see there, to send an angel. There's no ordinary angel, just so you know that. I don't want to get too much into the theology of it, but it's not an ordinary angel, okay? This angel apparently had the, the ability to pardon sins, which God says here he's not going to. And the Lord also said, God also said, that in him is my name. Now, I don't want to speculate too much in that, but this is a manifestation of, of the presence of God. That's what we see here. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but there's a bigger thing for us to see. Because this angel that was sent to him, God was saying that this angel is going to guide you and guard you. It was to guide and guard Israel as they made their way to the promised land. And, and this was a promise to continue. It wasn't something brand new. It was a promise to continue guiding them. A, a, a promise to continue protecting them like God had previously done with the pillar of cloud that had led them by day and the pillar of fire um, that had gave them light by night. And, back in, and when we saw that first be manifested before the children of Israel, that was back in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And at that time, we're told that this pillar that had been guiding and protecting them up to the point that we're reading about now was the Lord going before them. And that's what we see here again. The Lord was going to before them. And I point this out because when God spoke of this angel that would go before him, he was promising to be with them through their entire journey. And I love that. Because we've received the same promise through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God promised to be with them through their entire journey. That he would see them into their inheritance. Yet in doing so, God specifically and purposefully called his people to obey the angel's voice and to not provoke him because his name was in him and he would not pardon their rebellion. And God also promised, if you look there in verse 22, to fight for them if they would obey his voice and do all that he had spoken to them. And we know that along the way in the journey that they would be attacked. That they would, they would meet an adversary, an enemy, not just when they got into the land, but even as they were traveling to the promised land. And God said, don't worry about it. I got you. I'm going to fight for you. Your adversaries will be my adversaries and your enemies will be my enemies. If they would obey his voice and do all that he had spoken to him. So, so for us to see, this is what we need to see, is that in both aspects of these promises, of this promise, it's a singular promise, but in both aspects of this problem, promise, there was this condition. There was a condition put to it. The condition of their obedience. And I want to point out that even though the children of Israel were disciplined, if you guys have ever read this, this account before or know anything about the children of Israel during this time, is, is that you know that they'll be disciplined Many different times during the journey. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a really big discipline moment coming up for them shortly when Mount, when, while that, that, that they were down below disobeying God even while Mount Moses was back on the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights. Making a carved image. 
and other kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing. We'll talk about that. I don't want to get too far ahead. But God would discipline them. He would have to discipline them many times during the journey for their acts of disobedience, for the rebellion against God. But what we need to see and what we will see is that God never forsook his people or did God recant on his promises. He never forsook his people or his promises that he had made to them. And every time the people would turn away from their rebellious ways or their rebellion against God or their disobedience and turn back to God, you want to know what? God was always there every time. Every single time he would be there to fulfill this promise, continue guiding them and guarding over his people. And, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but he even did so even after they refused to go into the land after he brought them there. That's like your kid saying, you know, I need a ride to my friend's house. Okay, it's like, you know, 7 o'clock at night. You may already be in your pajamas, as a lot of you guys are, are like me. You may get in your pajamas early and kick back on the couch. And, and they're like, Dad, I really want to go to my friend's house. And they're like, okay, so you get dressed and you take them and you guide them and you guard them and you drive maybe a little faster than you should because you want to get back to your couch. But you get there and they're like, yeah, I decided I changed my mind. I don't want to go. And you drive them all the way back home and then, you know, and they're like, no, can you take me back? And if, if, if that was me, I would be like, forget it. Yeah. But, but not even, even in a situation similar to that, not exactly like that, God's promise remained to His people. And He continued to guide them and guard them for a 38-year period of time after they had even got to the place where they were supposed to be. It's an amazing thing. And it's such an amazing thing for us to notice because, guys, the same is true for us. Praise God, the same is true for us. The same is true for us in that God will never leave us, the Bible says. God will never forsake us. And even when we're faithless, He's faithful. And, 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 and he, he will never forsake us even when in, in those times when we've turned away from Him. But understand that in order to receive all that God has promised for us, or that God has promised us, we, like the Hebrew people, must follow after Him. If you want to inherit everything that God has promised to you, it requires following after Him in hot pursuit. And if we've ever turned away, or if we have turned away, then, then it's just as simple as turning back. Turning back to a loving God who is waiting to receive us, who's waiting to restore us to back to Him. And you know what? That's, that may not be a message for, for some of you specifically here tomorrow, this morning because you're following after God, but it is a message for you to convey to somebody that all of us know who's in this place where they've turned away from God. And in that place, they may, they may feel forsaken they may feel forgotten because of the choices that they've made because the decisions and the places that they've gone but the truth is is God's still there waiting for them with open arms of love and people need to be told that message I have people in my family friends who need to be told that message and you guys know people too that our God is a God who redeems a God who restores and that you can never go too far away, that his hand is so short that he can't reach out and bring you back to the place that you've fallen from. He's a gracious and merciful God, a loving God who's waiting to receive us 
when we turn to him, waiting to restore back to us, restore us back to him. But in light of this, we need to see, guys, you got to see that God's law and this call to obey his commands was, was a means or a tool by which God would guide and protect his people. God said, I'm going to promise to guide you. I'm going to promise to protect you. You need to obey my voice. And why did he say that? Because the law, the commands were a means, a tool by which he would guide them to where they needed to go and keep them safe along the journey. And so if and when God's people violated his commands, which they did, and, and, and or disobeyed his voice, which they did, they ultimately, just like us, would be choosing to go in a way and do things in a way that seemed right to them. But the natural result of this would take them out from underneath the covering of God's guidance and from God's protection. And it would reap the painful and natural consequence of being out from that place, from under that place. And I point this out because even though we have, we have entered into, you and I, we've, we've entered into and have been blessed by, a, the Bible says, a new and living covenant, right? Through our faith in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And we've been given the Holy Spirit as our guide, who, who guides us and guards over us as we journey in faith, our obedience to God's commands, okay? Hear this. Our obedience to God's commands and our willingness to heed His voice is also a means, a tool by which God, by which God guides us and protects us today. In other words, if we choose to disobey God's Word and go on our own way and do things in a, seem, in a way that seems right to us, we should no longer expect to be under the covering of God. It's, 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 it's us following God. We should no longer expect to be under the covering of God's guidance or God's protection. In fact, twice in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that when we choose to go in a way that seems right to us, that we have set our feet on a path that leads to destruction. And it's not because God's saying, okay, you left me, now I'm going to destroy you. As some people in the world think. It's because we've left the safe place. And we're wandering in, 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 without any, any, any one guiding us in the way that we should go. But in Proverbs, guys, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, it says this. I love it. It says, for the command is a lamp and the, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. A lamp and a, and, 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 and a light to, to guide us in the way that we should go. And the point is, God has attached promises and He's attached blessings to the keeping of His commands, promises and blessings that still apply to our lives today. And there is a great reward. There's a great reward in following after God and choosing the path that He leads us down. And a great reward in doing things His way. A great blessing in doing things His way. That's just one of the promises. There's, there's two others. And the second promise given by God in this section of Scripture at the end of these verse, this chapter is found in verses 24 through 26. You can look there. And in verses 24 through 26, in these verses, God promised to prosper His people in the promised land by this, by blessing their food and water, healing their disease, and giving them ultimately a full and fruitful life.
if, if they would, God says here, completely destroy every place of every trace or in every place of, of pagan worship in the land of Canaan and worship him alone. In other words, when God said, when you come in, you're going to receive this if you do this. Because I'm going to take you there and you got to go in. And when you go in, there's going to be all this waiting for you. And I'm going to prosper you in this way, but you must do this. And once again, we see, we see the children of Israel's obedience to the laws of the covenant, to the voice of God, was directly connected to the blessings of the covenant, right? The very first two. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any carven or graven engraven image uh, uh, of me and these, of these things and, and, and to bow down and to worship it. And, and, and that's what was rooted in this command to, to destroy all of those things when they went into the land. And so, like I said, once again, their obedience to the laws of the covenant was directly connected to these blessings of the covenant. But I want to point out, because you know what, there's a lot of weird doctrine in Christianity today, and some of that weird doctrine roots around things here that are taken out of context, things here that are theologically wrong in regards to the nature and person of God. And what I mean by that, and I, I don't want to give too much attention to some of these false teachings that are out there that a lot of people are being led astray with, but I want to point out that if we're not careful when we come to passages like this, we can come away from these promises of God that He's, that he's made that are conditional and wrongly conclude that God is simply saying this, if you do something for me, then I'll be obligated to do something for you. Right? That, that's, that's what some people take away from this, and that, that on the surface can, can kind of be twisted to, 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 to be seen like that, but this is not what God is saying and, or, 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 or what God is like in any way. God needs nothing from us. Nothing. God, matter of fact, in, 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 in one of the Old Testament passages, I think it's in the book of Isaiah, God says, you know, if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. And God is not in this case, well, if you do something for me, if you obey me, then I'll do something for you. That's not the foundation for what's being spoken here. It's not who God is, it's not what he's saying, and it's not what God is like when he's, when he's connected the promises of a full and abundant life to the, the command of destroying all forms of idolatry and, and, and to the worship of him alone. It's not, a, it's not a, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Really what was, what's going on here, and you've got to use your mind a little bit, and thank God he's given us a mind, and, and I mean that almost in a, uh, a sarcastic way to some of these false doctrines and false teachings that are out there that is say, you know, anyway, I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked. Let me stay, let me stay focused. Um, he's pointing out a fundamental truth that applies to every person today. What is going on here in this passage of Scripture is, is God's pointing out a fundamental truth to his people that, that, um, that is, is applicable to every single person today. It applies to all of us. And it's this truth, that there is no life apart from the one, and true and, the one true and living God. There's no life apart from the one and true living God, who is the source, the giver, and the sustainer of life. And when we come into a right relationship with God, there's life. 
and there's life more abundantly. And Jesus spoke this when he said, I'm the, when he spoke, spoke about being the good shepherd and how there's all these other false shepherds out there and they're thieves who come to, to rob, to steal, and to destroy. But he said, he being the good shepherd, he comes to give what? Life and life more abundantly. And why could Jesus claim that? Because he's God in the flesh. He too is the sustainer, the giver, and, and the source of all life. And so when we come into a right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, there is life and there is life more abundantly. And this is what God is telling His people. If you stick with me, if you worship me alone, if you put out all these other false things that lead to death, you will have life. And if you can just think back to that time, those years that you lived before you gave your life to Jesus Christ and sought after so many things that the world has to offer which promised life, right? Peace and joy and happiness and life and life abundantly, all these things. What you will remember is that it's a bunch of lies that only led to death and to destruction over and over and over and over again. Yet, guys, so many people wrongly believe this. They believe that there are these other quote-unquote gods that they can worship. And we fall into the same trap. Just like the children of Israel would fall back into this trap of idolatry. We fall into this trap. And wrongly believing that there's other gods that we can worship. Other things of this God-created world that, that we or they can give themselves over to in order to fill ourselves up with things so that we can try and get the life that we so desperately desire and, and more than desire, need. Life is in need. There's no life and there's no abundance of life that can be found apart from the Creator who gives life, the Creator who sustains our life. And any attempt to do so will bring forth death. And that's why we can see that God wasn't just saying, hey, if you do this, I'll do that. What God was saying, if you do this, you'll live. You'll have life. Life more abundantly. And this is why God commanded His people to utterly overthrow all of these false gods when they came into the promised land and to completely break them down and to worship Him alone. And that word worship, when you begin to break it down, it's this idea of complete submission. It literally means to lay down prostrate before the Lord in complete surrender to Him, saying, saying, you are everything, I am nothing, and you can have it all. And when you do that, it leaves no room. There's nothing left to be given to anything else. So God promised to be with His people. To guide and to guard them as they journeyed to the promised land if they would obey His voice and do all that He commanded. The, the, the laws were, were, were designed to keep them in, in a place of safety. To, to, to guide them in the, in the right way, just like it does for us today. But God also promised, as we just looked at, to give them a full and abundant life if they destroyed these false gods. The, the, the false gods of the Canaanites. You know what, guys? There are things in our lives, every one of us. You know, we need to pray this this morning. God, search my heart and know me and show me, Lord, where there's any iniquity in me. Show me where, where there's pieces and places in my heart that are still not given over into worship and to surrender to you that is attached to the false things of this world today that are bringing forth death into your life. A little poison that's slowly killing you and robbing you of the full blessing, the full abundant life that God has waiting for you. 
God searches and knows because God says that when, when you do that and you come into this, this, this place of worship, it's, it's an awesome thing. And this was the second promise that he gave to his people. Then lastly, here in verses 27, at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 27 and going on to verse 33, we read that God also promised, and note the word gradually, little by little, to give them the land of Canaan as a possession. I'll get you there. I'll protect you along the way. When you're inside there is where there's going to be life and abundant life through this relationship with me, through this fellowship with me. But I'm also going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you the land as a possession. And, and I read through this, and truly there, there is no condition in these verses that are attached to this promise, much like the others. We know that even though there's no condition at this moment in these these verses, we know, as I already kind of alluded to, that the children of Israel, in order to receive this promise, they had to do what? They had to enter in. They had to enter in. They had to be willing to enter into a land we know that was filled with giants and filled with other nations who were mightier than they. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like God's given you a promise, an inheritance, and man, there's a giant in the way? There's something that is mightier than you that's standing in the way of what God says is yours? There were giants in the land. And they were mightier. There were nations who were mightier there. But God, in these verses, in this promise, and saying there's an inheritance for you, I'm going to give it to you, God assured them in these verses that He would be the one to drive them out. And that the fear of God, literally this is a figurative thing here being spoken of, but the fear of God would be like the, like the, sting, the sting of a hornet which caused the inhabitants of Canaan to turn and flee. Now, some of you guys know this about me, but a couple years ago, thanks to uh, George in here, but um, uh, I started keeping bees. And, and I got a new beehive last year, and I, I swear that they are killer bees from Africa. <laughs> I'm not even joking. One hive, the bees love me. I take care of them. I nurture them. They give me honey. Where is a good relationship. But even with a bee suit, I have these big old leather gloves. I opened up that other hive just a couple weeks ago. They, they tacked me through the, the, the leather gloves, and they got me. I've been stung on the chin like twice, and when I get stung on the chin, only when I'm on the chin, I have like this allergic reaction, and I, I swell up. It's awful. I got prednisone I have to take. Probably gonna, one day, they're gonna, my wife's going to come. She's going to find me out there in the field dead because of these bees. But I point that out because I know what this this illustrations talking about personally and 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 it was a warm day and the bees don't get out too many times this time of year when it's cold but this this hive is healthy and there's thousands and thousands a, a, a hive um i think it'll hold like twenty thousand bees in one hive and and i'm i'm there i'm checking it out and all of a sudden these bees get these killer bees they get ticked and, and they say, beekeeping 101, don't swat your hands, don't try to get them away. Well, I don't like the, the bees that are matted on my head and they're buzzing me, and this is the hive that stung me like a hundred times. And so I get a little nervous, and I start getting maybe a little dramatic. 
And I start swatting at him, and then I start, I put the lid on, and I literally start running through this field, and I have these bees chasing me. I know what this is talking about. And what God was saying is this, guys, if you can picture me in my bee suit running through the hay field with the bees, that's, that's what God's saying. Hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. There's giants in the land, and there's people who are mightier than you, but they're going to flee before my presence because of the fear of what they've heard about me doing for you. What I've done to the Egyptians, what I've done to them for you, and what I've done for you as you've journeyed, they're going to hear about it, and they're going to flee. And literally in another passage of Scripture, it says that, that God would cause the hearts of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan to melt like wax. And it's this idea of, oh, they're coming, we're going to be courageous, and we're going to, you know, you're on the battlefield, and, 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 then, and then it's like if your heart melts because fear overtakes you, and you flee and you run. God said, don't worry about those giants. Don't worry about those inhabitants in the land that are mightier than you because I'm going before you. And God says this to us today. Those things that stand in our way of what God has promised to give to us as an inheritance. And he says, watch them run. Watch them run like a hornet, like, a, like an angry bees chasing after you. So guys, even though there would be battles to fight, God said there's going to be battles to fight. Even though there would be battles to fight, God would go before his people and he'd fight on their behalf in order to do this. This is the promise, to give them the victory that he had already granted to them. Jesus isn't on the cross and it's the proof that the battle's been won. The victory is ours. What part of it? All of it. All of it. All of it. And that's why God says that when we put our faith in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, not only was our sins forgiven, but more importantly, the righteousness of God was given to us. And now God sees us as though we've not sinned at all. And, and we are holy and pure before Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. And if your Father in heaven is for you, then what can stand against you? The One who's already done this for us. And in this life, I know that it can feel like this, just like you're beating your head against the wall, that you're getting no weather. And it may even be in regards to a, a, a life-dominating sin that's, that's controlled part of you for a long time. But God says you're free from that. And that if you turn to Him and you follow after Him, and if you surrender to Him and worship Him alone, that those things will be driven out. It's a guarantee. And as God guaranteed this, he pointed out in the scripture, he said, listen, this is what I'm giving you. And he declared how the borders of the inheritance would extend from the Red Sea all the way in the southeast, down to the Mediterranean, or over into the Mediterranean Sea, into the west. And from the, from the southern desert all the way up to the Euphrates River, which is in the north. And in light of this, God gave this one final command in verses 23, or in 32 and 33. And he told his people that the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, he said, they have to be completely driven out. You can't let a little stay. You can't make a, a deal with them. No treaties with them. No covenants with them. Utterly destroy them. Utterly drive them out. And it's this awesome picture, guys, of, of what God has set us free from and what He's battling against and what He's fighting for in order that we may inherit what He has for us. He says, don't let that stuff have any place in your life. And God, we re reiterate this really, this un 
compromising command when they reached the border of the promised land there at Kadesh Barnea and, and explained that if any of them were left in the land to dwell with his people, they would become a temptation and ultimately lure his people into idolatry, back into pagan worship. And I'm here to tell you right now that there's some of us this morning that have been delivered and God has fought and we've gained some land, so to speak, figuratively, some of the inheritance, and, 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 and there's, there's a, 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 we've, we've regressed because we've not utterly driven it out. We've not completely cut it off. We've not forsaken it. We've not destroyed it. We said a little bit isn't bad. But the Bible says a little leaven spoils or infects the whole of the lump. And in light of this problem, in light of this warning, I think it's important to point out that the Hebrew people initially, guys, they initially failed to trust God and to claim their inheritance. May that not be us this morning. May we no longer stay in that place where we fail to trust God and claim the inheritance, the promises that God has for us. And when we consider the children of Israel, and you jump ahead to Numbers chapter 13, it records this telling us how the spies were sent into the land. Twelve spies. And most of the spies, when they came back, they gave, they gave a bad report. And this is what they said. Listen, it's from, the, from, the, from Numbers chapter 13. They said this. So God said, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to fight for you. There's abundant life waiting for you. I'm going to drive them out before you. And God does all these things, and he gets into the promised land, and, and, and they send spies in to check it out, and this is what they say. We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They brought some back to show grapes that were the size of bowling balls. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there, nevertheless, see you guys, that's some of us where we've seen, where we've gone in, we've got the report. Yes, there's a life and life abundantly here for us. It's just like what God said. It flows with milk and honey. And we have some of the fruit. We've taken it in. And, and, and we have proof of it. But, but you're in this place. We're in this place in certain areas, in certain spots of our life where we go, nevertheless, Stop it. Nevertheless doesn't need to be there, but it's here in this context. Nevertheless, it says, the people who dwell in the land, they are strong. And their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, there. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. This is like their answer to God saying, hey, you're going to go this far south, this far north, this far, far east and west, and all of it's going to be yours. And so they come back and say, well, the Malachites dwell in the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, they dwell in the mountain. And the Canaanites, they dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And, and are we not able to go up against the people? For they are stronger than we. And even though two of these spies would quiet the people, it says before Moses, and say this, Joshua and Caleb, they would say, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. And even though they quieted the people and spoke these things, the Hebrew people, because of unbelief, it says in Hebrews chapter 3, because of unbelief, they would set aside this promise of God. Disregard it. 
to fight on their behalf, to drive them out before them, to give them this inheritance. Set aside this promise of God to drive these peoples out and they refused to enter in and receive the inheritance that God had promised to them. That's one of the most saddest things in Scripture right there. And they did not, and so they did not receive what was promised to them, and we know that they were condemned to journey in the wilderness for 38 more years, it says, until that generation of unbelievers all died. All except for Joshua and Caleb, the two who gave a good report and encouraged the people to go in and take possession of the land. But when the next generation returned, when the next generation returned to the same borders 38 years ago, 38 years later, under the leadership of Joshua, God said, too bad, you can't come in now. No, it's never too late. It's never too late to follow after God, to do what's right. It's never too late to claim the promises of God for your own as they've been given to you. And under the leadership of Joshua, they crossed over the Jordan River, and by faith, they fought against the giants. And by faith, they fought and defeated the people who were stronger than they were, and they received the inheritance that God had promised to them. But it's important to point out, it took a little while to do. Seven years. Seven years, approximately, and many different battles for Joshua and his armies to take possession of all that God had promised. But guys, this was in accordance, this was in accordance, as we read here, to God's perfect will. And, and they needed perseverance through that. They needed to endure through that time. It was in accordance to God's perfect timing. Because God had said that he would drive out the inhabitants and give them the land. What does it say here? Little by little. Because if they if God had given it them to all at once, it would have been too much for them to handle. And that is also true for us today. God says some stuff before you, and you can, you, you're, you've, you've not endured, you've not persevered, and, and, and you've, you've surrendered, if you will, to fight the fight that God set before you, and in doing so, you miss out on what God has given to you because you think that it's not been given to you, but it's just a matter of God's perfect timing, and all these things are a good reminder for us to wait upon the Lord, to wait upon God to be the one to provide, to wait upon God in His perfect timing to bless us in accordance to His perfect timing, and then also to not rush ahead of Him and trust in the fact that His plan and His provision for us is always good. My wife and I were talking about that the other day, about how we know that God's plan, this is God's plan for us, and God's, God's, God's leading us in the way. And then my wife said, you know, in, in a pause, and she said, and it's good. And it's good, because sometimes we, we lose sight of that fact. Well, this is God's plan for me. But it's good. And this is God's timing for me. But it's good. It's good. God's for us. He's not against us. And He hasn't given us something. And if He hasn't given us something that's been promised to us right then in the moment, then it's not the right time for us to receive it. And if He hasn't given it to us because there's... Because, and if He hasn't given it to us, it's because there's this work that still needs to be done in us. And through the perseverance and through the endurance... As Paul even talks about, God's working forth patience in us. He's doing a good work in us. He's strengthening us on the inner man in order to make us equipped and capable and able to be able to receive that he, all that He has for us. 
so that ultimately that the blessing does not become a burdensome or, or a troublesome thing. So guys, like the children of Israel, God has called us to a life of faith. That's what this is about. It's being called to a life of faith, and it's by faith that we receive the promises and the blessings of God. But it's important for us to see that faith requires action. It requires action on our part. And like the children of Israel, we have to follow God where He leads us. We have to worship Him alone. And we have to engage in the battles in order to receive the victory and the inheritance that God has waiting for us. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going we're gonna to end here. I, wish, I was hoping to get into the first eight verses of chapter 24. I'm going to ask you to read ahead and study that on your own because we will pick back up next after Easter on verse 9. But I want to I wanna point out to you, I want you to see that in the first eight verses as the worship team's coming up, that in these first eight verses, what we see is that the covenant is sealed. Moses has written these things down. He reads them before the people and they say, yes, we agree to these things. What God has said, again, they said, we will do. We will follow after Him. We, we, we want to keep our promise so that God keeps His promise and, and receive everything that God has for us. 38 years of wandering, Justin. <laughs> but, but what I want to point out here is, is the thing that's significant in sealing this, this deal and sealing the covenant that was made is there had to be a sacrifice. And if you read into these verses, is what you see is, is that Moses built an altar, and then he put 12 pillars up to represent each tribe of the, of the people of the nation of Israel. So all were represented. And then, and, and then he took young men, and he made sacrifices, a burnt offering and a peace offering before the Lord. And then he took the blood of these animals, and he cast them on the altar, sanctifying the altar as if, if it was acceptable to the Lord, that the people were acceptable to the Lord. And then he, spoke it on the, then he also put the blood on the book of the covenant. where, the, where It was, it was the, 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 the paper agreement, if you will, of what, of what they had entered into. And then God, then lastly, Moses took the, the blood and he put it on the people. It was a covering. And if I don't know, if, you, if there's, there's nothing, that, that is such a great testimony of the covenant to the, that points us forward to the covenant that we have entered into with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without the blood, there's no life. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a, an offering made. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a purification comes. There's a, there's a commitment that's made. And, and, and as the animals were representative of what we've entered into through, with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we should be remembered we should be reminded of the fact that this covenant that we've entered into is not something that we enter into lightly. But Jesus gave it all so that we could receive what God has for us. And we're covered. We've been sprinkled. We've been washed by His blood. Father, thank You, God, for this time together. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for the reminder of the promises that you've made to us. And God, may we see again this morning that your will, your plan, your purposes are good. You have good for us. And when you say, follow me, obey me, keep my commands, God, that it's because you desire to, to, to watch over us. You desire good for us. 
Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made. We're thankful, God, that our Savior lives and reigns and makes intercession for us even today, even now, even in this moment. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone who's feeling separated from you today, distanced from you, that they would know that they have a mediator, that their Redeemer, their Savior, Jesus, lives, and that they can come to you through him, Lord, and receive all that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand.